Welcome to the UK Ravens podcast, the only official, unofficial Baltimore Ravens podcast from the United Kingdom. We have lots of reasons to celebrate on today's show. It's going to be a very happy show full of celebration. Welcome back to the UK Ravens podcast. My name is Josh Paul and I'm once again joined by my friends who I met on the internet. An odd mix of friends who I met on the internet today. I am joined by Shane Richmond, James Ogden, and out of nowhere, a wild Ben Mortimer sighting. Welcome back to the UK Ravens podcast, Ben. How how are things? Oh, it's beautiful to be back, Gaz. Great, as he just caught me <coughs> um, grazing in my meadow and thought I'd come <laughs> in and say hello to you from um, from York here, from sort of semi sunny, not really at all York, but I'm fine. Yeah, it's been um, it's been a busy few weeks, obviously, with uh, with what I do in a day job, and uh, it's just kind of calmed down a bit. So I thought, what better way to spend my Wednesday evening than with you, fine gentlemen? You've been busy booking honeymoons, I here and I'm, I'm fully aware of you've you've, you've got a, a good looking honeymoon books for the early september haven't you uh oh do i i better go and check on that i think i forgot <laughs> to book the flight but yes yes thanks gaz for booking your honeymoon with us i'm sure it'll be a wonderful wonderful getaway <laughs> and uh it was my pleasure mvp travel for all your honeymoon and u.s travel and well worldwide travel needs let's not limit it yes to yeah US. let's get the plug in let's get the plug in early and i might as well mention early as well that uh, uh we, we do still have space in new orleans if you want to come and see us play uh in the superdome on monday against uh, the saints surprisingly and uh, and we are throwing in LSU Alabama as part of that trip as well. And James would testify that New Orleans is a really fun place to go because me and him had, uh, well, he had a small beer and I had one of the world's largest. Um, what was it? What was I drinking? I don't know. It was something. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is a wonderful city, New Orleans. People should go. And also, um, Death Valley is great too. To go and see LSU is a great, great place to go and watch football. Yeah. It was a daiquiri. That's what I first remembered. It was a daiquiri, but it, um, a daiquiri. it is. And uh, <laughs> and we also have uh, just like we've also got Sky's Jeff Reinbold joining us uh, for for sheer randomness. We've got Sky <laughs> Jeff Reinbold is is, is is coming on the bus with us and basically spending and we're watching NFL Sunday in Bourbon Street with Jeff Reinbold. So there's a nice. sort of slightly random trip for you. Are you yeah. gonna are you gonna get him a bucket of strawberry daiquiri like you had? <laughs> uh, I, I'll get him all the daiquiris he asked for to be honest I'm not going to say no to coach <laughs> well that's it anyway Ben thanks for coming on and plugging the po- yeah <laughs> thanks a lot good to see you all Bye. <laughs> Shane you join us from a fresh background which means nothing to this audio medium of podcast but to us host it's it, it's quite the change we moved into the new house we settled the podcast studio is set up at the new place yeah pretty much it was slightly chaotic and uh, it took us what, two weeks to get internet, which is obviously incredibly stressful for my daughter who had to manage without YouTube for all that time. Um, but uh, everything's kind of up and running now. But yes, yeah, sadly, the bookcase behind me is gone because of where my desk is in the new office. So yeah, it's well, it's just the... The dictionaries and why I assume is something to do with Sherlock Holmes in the background there. Yep, that's true. I might change the books around, maybe put some football books over there. You've got the um, the Ravens filing cabinet behind me. That <laughs> I've stuck various magnets and stickers to over the years. So there is that. What a fantastic yeah. audio podcast this always yeah, has been. It's great. People can imagine. I'm, pa- <laughs> I'm painting a picture with words. 
<laughs> so another reason to celebrate, I mentioned we, um, we've got lots to celebrate in the intro. Ben's back with us. Sadly, Ian can't be with us. That's not a reason to celebrate, but we should mention that Ian isn't here. We're not just ignoring him. Gentlemen, do you know what? It is a year today. Well, not necessarily today, but a year this week since. The first time we recorded a podcast. Wow. It came up in my Google Photos memories that it's a year since the first time we sort of... So we, we did record about two to three weeks out of the season, didn't we? Just so I had time to edit and make us sound good. I remember going, going back a year, these podcasts took about 45 minutes to edit because I took out all the various erms, noises, long gaps, <laughs> people talking all over each other. I know we sounded like a polished item from the start, but that was mainly editing. Um, so yeah, we've been doing this podcast a year. So let's let's go into this podcast thinking, right, we should have this nailed by now. We've been doing it for 12 months together, so this should be a well-polished um, pro- product, product, I guess, podcast that takes yeah. very little editing. So um, congratulations on 12 months of podcasting, gentlemen. Let's get into the news. Let's start not talking about the Baltimore Ravens, but let's talk about the Arizona Cardinals and a certain undersized quarterback with who wears a large helmet. Kyler Murray this week signs a deal. And I, the WhatsApp went mad straight away. And I think all of us on screen in front of me immediately went to the same place. What does this mean for Lamar? Ben, what do you think to the Kyler contract of the Cardinals folded too early and paid him too early? Or is this, this the right move for them? I mean, when I saw the um, the fact he'd done the deal and the numbers involved, it didn't sort of blow me away as, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, they're giving him that much money. It's it's a five-year, 230 million, just over, uh, contract, um, 29 million signing bonus, average salary of 46 million. Um, it puts him at number two as the average uh, highest paid player in the league after the one and only Aaron Rodgers. Um, am I correct on that, James? I've not, I'll be honest. I've been given this to talk about, but I've not really reserved it. So, <laughs> um, but um, but I do know that um, yeah, he's been he's been paid a, a, a decent whack. But you know, when any new QB or when a, when a QB gets a new contract, it always seems to be that it's certainly going to be top five money, and quite often it's a player that you don't quite expect to be suddenly the number one paid player in the league. But that's just the way the market goes. It's if you get paid later, you get paid more money. He's undoubtedly uh, a young QB who'd made it very clear through, uh, very uh, clumsily through his <laughs> agents with a one of the worst press releases in modern history um, that uh, kind of like a humble, I want to be here, but pay me uh, type of release. That it was, he, he wasn't going to be happy um, uh, playing on his current deal. And uh, I think they've assuaged his, uh, his, his, uh, potential anger and uh, he's now focused he was always going to be the franchise QB in Arizona there was no one else that they were going to line up he's he's the guy they've got weapons for him as well um yeah they've just got you know Hollywood in place uh, together with DeAndre Hopkins so um it's um it, it makes sense for them to pay him uh, and I think it doesn't really affect Lamar because Lamar was always going to get what you know what Lamar is due um whether this you know, you could make the argument that if 
if Eric had been more aggressive or Lamar had been more willing, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. He may have signed for less than Kyler has now, but um, I don't think it's been a seismic shift. And I think um, you know the Ravens are probably still um, quite uh, re- in, uh, realistic about you know what they're going to have to do to to um, pay Lamar. So I don't think this really shifts things too much. Um, but uh, I think it's not a surprise because Kyler Murray certainly is not going to go anywhere and he is uh, a top talent in the league. So the big thing that's come out of this contract is four hours of, what is it? Uh, independent homework. study addend- addendum. So he has to do four hours a week of homework. James, like he should be doing this anyway, anyway should he? Is this, is this a thing? Is this ESPN making this into a thing that, that shouldn't be a thing? Is it an odd thing to to see in a contract it's an odd thing to see in a contract i'm not i I don't i'm not really gonna make a big deal out of it i mean i'm sure he is doing that kind of independent study seems very very strange i mean if you if you're if you're having to incentivize that in a contract you probably shouldn't be paying him north of 200 million dollars uh if like if he needs to be incentivized by his contract to do independent study to be an nfl qb that seems very odd. So I, I think it's just a nonsense to me, to me. And it's specified in like real detail as well what it is he's supposed to be doing. He's got to be looking at the materials the team send him. So it's not like he can just go, oh, I have, I've got my own cut-ups that I've been looking at or whatever. Uh, it says that he's got to be not looking at, uh, not playing video games while he's doing it or watching TV while he's doing it. I assume they have, they specify an iPad or other device. I assume they have one of those monitors on because these are team iPads, so they have one of those monitors that tells them how much time you spend in each app, so they they know the the amount of time he's using the app for. Um, I don't know how they would know whether he's uh, giving it his full attention or not, but um, it's very weird the the detail they've gone into and in specifying exactly what they mean by independent study. It's the kind of parental controls I've got on my kids' iPads at the moment to make sure they don't spend too much time. <laughs> On the apps, and and that is a way you could, you you could actually um, take that, isn't it? Because I I agree with James. It is, it does seem to undermine the um, potential trust between the two parties. If you're saying, you know, I'm going to have to put it in writing because I, you know, as you said, if you're giving them that much money, you have to be confident they're going to do the work. And um, it it I'd feel a little bit slighted if I was Kyler on that one but if he's agreed to it and his agent's happy with it then um, yeah okay bear in mind the guy who Kyler's just been paid more of has 24 sexual assault allegations against him and he is not getting half the the monetization that the the Cardinals are are, are selecting on Kyler Murray it's it's a really odd place to be in isn't it yeah and that's the that's the place to go I think for the other point in terms of um, relation to the Ravens which is that Sean Watson signed a fully guaranteed contract. This isn't fully guaranteed um, as a contract, which is an which is an interesting development because there was a chance that Lamar could push for a fully guaranteed contract and that his would have eclipsed um, the Sean Watson's, which would have been a very difficult pill for the Ravens to swallow. That contract was a strange one from the Browns um, and one that I think the league universally disliked um, them giving that out. And it was interesting for quarterbacks going QBs going into those conversations 
looking at you know what, what money that would be paid and would be would be pointing to Deshaun Watson's contract and saying you can fully guarantee my whole contract then. Um, so it was always going to be interesting to see the next QB contract done to see if that was fully guaranteed. And it seems like the Cardinals have successfully sort of said that was a nonsense move by the Browns. No one else is going to do that. And normal service has been resumed. Or is it that you know, people are still going to try and push for that, for that for that fully guaranteed contract? So might make negotiations a little bit easier with Lamar, but Lamar really should eclipse that annual value unless he's looking for a, you know, an eight to 10 year deal like Pat Mahomes, you know, he, he should, he should be aiming for above Kyler's 46 million and, and aiming for Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers type money, really. Um, so I, I can't see, I can't see that the annual value having a huge impact on Lamar, but I can see, uh, you know, something on the guaranteed money potentially helping the Ravens to point to a, a more sensible franchise than the Cleveland Browns. But the other thing is just to say the Ravens are never going to have any trouble with, um, with Lamar looking at um, cut-ups and clips and having to do independent study, we see him get back on the plane, and the minute he sits down on the plane, he's looking at, at an iPad at, at a replay of of, um, of the most recent game. So I think the Ravens are never going to have that worry. Been interesting to dip into the UK Cardinals podcast this week and see what their response is to this because I don't sh- I don't want to get too deep into it. I'm not sure how I would feel if. We had to put some sort of clause in there that says, oh, you know what, you need to, we're going to give you all this money, but we, we do want to make sure you're doing a little bit of homework. It, it, it just feels a bit odd. There's a story about the uh, the Jets from the 71 or 72 season. There's a, there's a book about um, Weeb Eubank, who was the head coach called The Last Season of Weeb Eubank. Uh, and there's a story in there from uh, Paul Zimmerman who says that they gave, they stuck um, a $100 bill in one of their players' playbooks. And when he brought the playbook back in, they opened it, flicked through, and the $100 bill dropped out. And they were like, if you'd opened your playbook. Um, you know, 50 years ago, a $100 bill for a player would obviously have been more welcome than it would be now, whereas they'd be like, I'm not even going to walk across the room to pick that up. I mean, you know, whatever. <laughs> Unless he was just a very honest player. Yeah, maybe. He was like, this isn't mine. I'm gonna, this is this belongs to the team, just like the rest of my playbook. Is this not the script yeah. to draft day, the film? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard this before, but it's definitely in a film. Okay, going back to the Baltimore Ravens and more specifically Lamar Jackson, based on the contract that Kyler Moose just being given, Lamar Jackson could win MVP 12 times and still not be a number one quarterback says some unanimous nfl defensive coordinator shane if you're not gonna put your name to it this is just bollocks yeah i mean i think i I feel like i've ranted about this before on a podcast but there's like part of the issue here is aside from the anonymity and that just if you've got such a big confident opinion just put your name to it like you're not outing yourself as a murderer or something you're just criticizing a player in the league your uh, defensive coordinator in the league, you're perfectly entitled to do that. Um, he doesn't want to provide bulletin board material, whoever he is. But the big problem with it is that we can say that there's like, what, five or six defensive coordinators in the NFL who are basically just warming chairs. Like there's somebody's son or somebody's mate. They're putting out some terrible defense that for whatever reason, the team hasn't been able to fix. And if it's one of those guys who says it, then who cares? They can barely find which end of the field their team is supposed to be going to, so it doesn't matter. There are some defensive coordinators who, if that was their opinion, I'd be. I'd, I'd, it would at least make me think. It would make me think, well, why do they think that? It would make me think about whether they 
whether I've sort of misjudged them as a, as a really good defensive coordinator because you look at what Lamar Jackson's been able to do in the league and it's a very hard argument to, to make. Um, or it would make me just question the premise of, of what they're talking about. If you're saying he's never going to be Tom Brady, I agree with you. I don't think he is. He's a completely different player. But then there's you can list 10 astonishing quarterbacks in the NFL who are all completely different in their playing styles and their skill sets and all of whom would count as number one quarterbacks. So you've either got this really backward notion that uh, the only the only real number one quarterback is a pocket passer who's slinging the ball downfield on every single play or you've got some idiot who doesn't know what he's talking about but I just you know it's on journalists really just they know that they can get clicks with this sort of bullshit and it's just don't let people get away with it don't let people just stir the pot with these anonymous quotes it's absolute nonsense but does the journalist want to let them get away with it uh, because it helps them get the clicks. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I think the primary motivation, certainly in US sports reporting with the likes of ESPN, is to get as much attention, as many clicks, as many talking points for m- mediocre at best pundits, and I'm being generous here, to debate and get viewers and get sponsor dollars. And it's it, the, the truth or the motivation is way down the list, isn't it? Yeah, and it is just crappy journalism. It's just taking somebody who's willing to go on a bit of a rant and uh, turning that into clicks. And because it's anonymous, we can all assume it's somebody who knows what they're talking about. As I said, not some <laughs> hack who's like, whose brother has been in coaching for years and so he ended up as a DC or whatever. I, I mean, the other thing, I was, I, I ranted, well, briefly about this on Twitter the other day, but my, my backup, I had a joke. I was going to go with the joke, and then I thought, actually, people might not know it's a joke, and it might get into even more trouble. But what I was going to tweet was, I can't believe Wink said that about Lamar. <laughs> well, well, I, I had some names written down of people who have possibly said this. Wink Martindale made the top of my list. I did have, I've just been Googling out to check that it was definitely a current defensive coordinator because this has got Vic Fangio written all over it. <laughs> yeah, I was, it's, you, can hear, you can hear Fangio's voice, can't you, saying it? <laughs> but um, no, it does, it does specify a current defensive coordinator and Fangio doesn't have a job like most terrible <laughs> defensive coordinators. So it can't be him. So let's all just point the finger at Wink and, and move on. It's and was it, it's, it, it? It was Jack Del Rio, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> was it LeBron who came to Lamar's defense and yeah. said this is probably some defensive coordinator that he's absolutely burned, who is just still fuming about not being able to defend against Lamar Jackson, which may have some truth to it. I, yeah. I liked Ryan Clark's response to it, which I think I saw on ESPN, which is he said stupid people will say stupid things and they'll say even more stupid things when they can be completely anonymous. Um, mm-hmm. And I just think uh, the thing that, that galls me the most about this this thing, which I, I've tweeted about and ranted about on podcasts before, is that I just it frustrates me that people still seem to want to evaluate Lamar against some antiquated notion of a QB. It's just it is ridiculous. If you are continuing to evaluate him and to evaluate his value based on you know, some 10 years ago impression of what a quarterback needs to do. It's just, it's ridiculous. You need to, you need to actively break your mold. If you're, if that's how you're trying to evaluate him, it's stupid. Um, he is possibly the most valuable QB in the, in, in the league in terms of what he brings, um, to the rest of the team. And if he won the MVP 12 times, he, he's the best player. He'll, he'll been the best player ever probably 
And it just yeah. so happens <laughs> that he plays the quarterback position. Like, I don't, why is that? It's just stupid. It's honestly ridiculous. I think I feel required to add some counterpoint here because they're all obviously really uh, ticked off about. Um, I think it's it's more the on the ongoing public persecution of Lamar versus the vast majority of other players, if not all other players in the NFL. That's uh, really grinding on on Ravens fans, particularly. Um, but I think the only way he can ultimately shut up these naysayers and 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 the ones that always are, you know. Uh, quoting you know, playoff stats and lack of Super Bowls is by winning playoff games and winning Super Bowls. And until he does that, I think though the difference is that it goes back to the antiquated view of how a QB can win playoffs and Super Bowls and everyone is convinced it has to be uh, through the air. It's not with Lamar. It, 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 it could be you know, a 50-yard run um, in, in you know, with, with a minute to go uh, before setting up, you know, a, a, a Pat Ricard Bruise in for a for a score. It doesn't really matter. Um, but until uh, and even then, if that happened, they'd be like, "We well, didn't throw his way to the victory." Well, it doesn't matter. He engineered the win, and that's the thing. Lamar can they say, "Well, he's number one football player, but not a number one QB." But um, a, a number one QB leads the offense and finds ways to get his troops into position to win. It doesn't really matter how he does that. And Lamar can arguably do that better than any player in the league. So, but again, I just I think we all pine for the day where he shuts everyone up with a Lombardi, um, and then it'll probably take another one to probably shut people up. But at that point, who cares? The goalposts will just continue to get moved as they have been over the last couple of years. They just it wins a Lombardi, and it'll be. J.K. Dobbins comes out of nowhere and is the best running back in the league and he's only won it because of J.K. Dobbins and the Ravens' defense. And the the, the goalposts will just continue to get moved on the mile because he's, he's such a, a a different figure to anyone else who's ever been in that quarterback position. Even your Cam Newton's everything. He's, he's still so different as a mobile, scrambling quarterback that they'll just continue to get moved. And I'm not sure we'll, we'll ever not be um, sat around talking about this exact thing. Let's well, and there is. I'm sorry, you were trying to get off this topic, and I keep <laughs> we could just do two hours on this. There, there is also the fact that that underpinning this entire debate is racism, which is where this whole thing started. And I'm not saying every person who criticizes Lamar and says he's not a passing quarterback is a racist. The person who said this is a racist, though, I know this anonymous DC, I know for a fact, is very, very racist, which is why he won't even like let his name go out or even come out in public. I can say what I like about him because he's anonymous. Um, this, uh, this... You say anonymously. <laughs> anonymously. Um, yeah, that's the thing. If he comes out and says, how dare you say that about me? Aha. Um, <laughs> but uh, this, uh, what underpins all of this is, is an element of racism. It comes from this idea of how white quarterbacks play and how black quarterbacks play. And even if people who put this argument forward are not remotely racist and would, would be appalled at the notion of saying something racist. That's what's underpinning the whole thing. And it underpins the language of how white players and black players are described. Black players are described as more powerful. White players are described as more intellectual. All of that stuff has been borne out by loads and loads of studies. And so that's a bit, a, a, that's another part of what annoys me about this, that it is this sort of historical illiteracy. But 
at the same time, you know, Lamar didn't have his greatest year last year. It's fair enough to look at stats and say, you know, this was a down year. It's just when you say nonsense, like he could win 12 MVPs and I still wouldn't consider him a number one quarterback, then you just think, well, you're either a maniac or there's something else going on. But that's not, that's just a weird thing to say. Agreed. Okay, let's move on to James, your guy in the draft. You liked him in the first round. He unfortunately tore his Achilles during his pro day. Slid to the Ravens at the number 45 pick. Now not turning up to camp and yet to have a deal to sign. Should we be concerned here? Is this him just getting right away from the facility? Where, where are you at with no. the driver? Um, it's not. So it's, I don't think it's anything to be concerned about. I don't think it's just about getting getting healthy away from the, the facility. I think the so he's the only draft pick, I think, in the league not signed. Um, and the reason being is he should have been. This happened um, with uh, people. I don't know if people remember. This happened with Leal Collins a few years ago. When uh, and actually, actually, no, he signed pretty quick because he went undrafted. But there was an issue with Leal Collins, um, who kind of dropped to being undrafted because he was under police scrutiny at the at the time. He got signed up by the Cowboys, um, and they signed him. He was fine; there was no issues. But they they gave him a huge um, undrafted free agent contract. Ajabo slid because of the injury. His talent was top half of the first round talent. So what this is about guaranteed money, basically. So the the rookie pay structure is pretty fixed. But one thing that you can flex, especially in those early rounds, is the guaranteed money that you give to to draft picks. Um, Ajabo is probably holding out for a little bit of guaranteed money as a second round pick, given that he had such a great great talent coming into the coming into the draft and had that Achilles in, really awful Achilles injury. The Ravens probably don't necessarily want to pay him um, <laughs> f- f- uh, some some money uh, guaranteed money because of the injury concern. <laughs> around him so there's probably just a little bit of a standoff here but it's it's because he's the highest drafted guy that had such a big high profile injury injury that was going to cause him issues so i don't think it's anything to worry about i think he will sign i just think this is probably the most complex deal for somebody to have to sign um so that's probably why it's taking a little bit of time but also it's not the end of the world you know he's not he's obviously not making it onto a football field anytime soon probably till much later in the season so it's not really anything to be too concerned about. I'm sure it'll get signed eventually, but they've got a bit of time. Do you know what he's not allowed to do without a contract? Is he allowed to be in the facility rehabbing and stuff if he's not signed to the team? I think he can be in the facility rehabbing, but I, I, I think it's not necessarily... The, the, the agent will more than likely advise him not to do that um, because if he goes in, rehabs, and worsens the injury, then putting himself in a, in a worse position. So it prob- he's probably being advised not to go in, um, although I'm sure that I think through the CBA rules, I think he can go in. But I'm, I'm speaking from ignorance there. I could be wrong. You would like to see him in there with the team and with the team trainers, though, wouldn't you? Like, I think me he would, personally. But I, I, but I understand why he wouldn't, because, you know, if he, he's already, you know, he's already been burned by basically, uh, you know, a, a glorified gym workout that, was going to do nothing for his for his draft stock, and he's and he's ended up losing millions of dollars because of of, of a pro day. I, I kind of understand if he's reluctant to go in and continue to work out when when he doesn't have a contract. Like I, I just think I, I think that's probably sensible by him, and I, I you know he should look after himself. And to me, that's I can understand why he's not doing that. 
Okay. Earlier in the week, the Ravens had a bit of a contract restructure with Marlon Humphrey. The Ravens went into the week with the least cap space in the league. So had to do something to generate a little bit of wiggle room. The Ravens are going to convert 8.965 million, almost the entirety of Humphrey's scheduled 10 million base salary into a signing bonus, which will free up a little over 7 million in cap space. Ben, sorry, I read all the I read all the stats you were going to throw straight at me. Yeah, I'm, basically, I'm that's sorry. that's that's that then. So we're, let's move we're, on to the we're, next look, thing. we're looking. At, <laughs> I assume we're looking <laughs> at the same site here. Um, what do you think this is? Is this just getting ready to, if anything happens during camp, if any players going yeah. down, or it, have we got have we got a fresh new signing coming? We've got some new legs coming. I think we're still quite tight against the cap regardless of this. So I don't think it really lends itself to a major splash signing. But I think you know, you're dead on with uh, saying that it's really insurance because, as you said, we we were uh, the tightest against the cap of any team in the league, which seems really annoying. You know, you come, you, you look at it, you think, how, how, how are they, you know, how, how are these other teams doing that? And what are the, how are the Rams doing doing that and and we're, we're the tightest against the cap but um it's the way we uh the way we manage things uh we've we've we, we we're up against it and obviously marlon uh he's not losing out but you know some players can be difficult on stuff like this but it's just a sensible move all around for him to uh take the uh take the signing bonus free up a bit of room because obviously we all know what happened last year with a certain starting cornerback and two starting running backs. And uh, it is nice to have that free space in the pocket should we need to acquire anyone once uh, camp starts in earnest, in my view, anyway. Okay. James, I'm coming to you here because this feels really low down the depth chart. This definitely feels like a you point. Uh, To the point I had to Google him to see who he was. Bailey Gaither? Gaither? Gaither. 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 Gaither, I think. USFL, I found out, is uh, was part of the Pittsburgh Maulers. Um, signed a deal with the Baltimore Rivers. Is this the first guy to go from USFL up to the NFL? I couldn't see anybody else on a quick Google. I don't know. I'd, I'd be surprised if it was the only only one, but maybe it is. Um, I, I'd be surprised. There, there should be probably some others in, in training camps around the league, I would have thought. But Gaither is, I, I mean, I... I, I I have to admit, I did not. He came out of the draft last year. I did not watch any of him coming out of the draft last year. Uh, he was at San Jose State, I believe, and, and was had a good career there. Uh, and I think he went undrafted and spent a bit of time with the Panthers last year. But beyond that, I don't really know anything. I'm sure he's just a camp body. There are a number of intriguing young wide receivers ahead of him in the pecking order that are probably going to make the roster. And it'd be, it'd be a surprise to me if there's a multitude of receivers make the roster this year. I think it's max five and possibly even less. Not related to Jared Gaither, by the way, in case anyone's wondering, because he's uh, skinny and white. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Not the first player to come out of the USFL. Uh, Quarterback Kyle Slaughter to the Jacksonville Jaguars from the Breakers. Christian Sam also from the Breakers to the Cowboys. Zaya Zuba from the Houston Gamblers to the Raiders. Ike Brown from the Breakers to the Raiders. I can only assume the Breakers won the league because they've got the most players that have come out. Um, Victoria Bolden Jr. from the Birmingham Stallions to the Cardinals. And Jeremiah Farmst from the Pittsburgh Maulers to the Patriots. Oh, there's a couple more, but yeah, there's a few out. So it's not the first, so... 
Nice little camp body, a um, undersized, skinny, white wide receiver. I'm tell you, he's my boy for this year, Gaither. Now I'm, I'm going for it. I've seen You're getting I'm, the Gaither I'm jersey. The, <laughs> I'm looking at the profile. I like the the cut of his jib, and uh, <laughs> I, I just hope he has an unbelievable camp in the preseason. He makes the team. He ends up catching a Super Bowl winning pass, and then we can replay <laughs> the just a camp body from both James and Gaz. <laughs> We we put the jinx on on Ravens players when we when we name them that though you know like bit good good old Nigel from last year Nigel Warrior that's true Nigel oh, Warrior Nigel Warrior yeah. I forgot about Nigel Warrior I wonder what yeah. happened to him yeah probably a bricklayer I'd imagine uh, <laughs> I imagine um, speaking of random Ravens Corey Clement um, added to the team as a running back with um, Gus Edwards being questionable in Week One. Shane, does he play a snap for the Ravens or is, is this is this another camp body, do you think? Well, hopefully he doesn't. I think that's the, the thinking is that, you know, you can't be sure that um, Dobbins and Edwards are technically, they're still on the pop list, so they're technically not available. Um, they may well be thinking that they need some extra people around for camp, maybe going into preseason. I doubt that they would want to go any further than that, but um you know, we saw last year with a couple of players that sometimes the return from injury can be really, really hard to predict. So they need some other guys instead. I mean, he was he was a backup with the Cowboys last season, apparently 14 yards on 33 carries. So, you know, not, not a lot of action. Um, before that, he was with the Eagles. So I don't think we would be expecting him to, uh, to, to put in too much of a shift. You know, those cabinets that uh, have... Fire glass cabinets that have fire extinguishers in them. I feel like the Ravens have like a row of those, and it's break glass in case of emergency. <laughs> veteran running back, and you know you can see the empty cabinets now for Le'Veon Bell and Latavius Murray and Devonta Freeman and uh, Mike Davis, and then you know Corey Clement was just the next in the line, and they just broke glass when they had to put Dobbins on the on the pop list. Oh, Le'Veon Bell, what what could have been? What could have been? Um, one of one of the Vegas Vegas stories we'll read out. Um, Charlie Cola may have a sports hernia. I mean, I'm not sure. What, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why this even made the show. It could have a show. It could have a sports hernia. It could be fine. Um, I mean, I'm on CBS Fantasy. That's where I'm getting this from. So any scenario with the rookie year, fantasy value for likely Cola would figure to involve Andrew's missing time. It now sounds like as if yeah. Cola will miss time this summer. Any any hot takes on uh, Charlie Cole and whether he has a sports hernia? Can anyone confirm or deny well, we, the sports well, we, hernia? I mean, I think Jeff. I think Jeff Zed said he, he, he looks like he he might, might well, but I don't think it's confirmed. But um, the only I think you know everyone's in agreement the sports hernia is not a, you know a season-ending injury, but it can put you out for a while, especially um, you know making sure that you're fully recovered and good to go before exacerbating. So the biggest worry with Kolar is that. Um, he could fall behind a bit as a rookie tight end in in camp, and um, you know he's. He, I don't think he's in danger of of of, um, of, of missing the uh, uh, missing the roster. But at the same time, you know he's going against likely as another rookie, and um, you know he's an intriguing pass catching tight end that's looked good in in OTAs and stuff like that as well. So you know if if Andrews went down, for example, you know you could say that he'd be one of the primary receiving uh, backup tight ends. If uh, you know that's that's the only way he's really going to get a lot of time this season, but it is quite important to you know get your reps, get your camp in in your rookie year. So uh, that would be my worry for him. But 
Um, it is what it is. If you've got spurs, a spurs hernia, a sports hernia, <laughs> um, you gotta, you gotta, uh, you gotta protect it, don't you? We all, we all know what's happening here, don't we? This is the, this is the Ravens' early push to throw this guy in the IR. Oh, it looks like it looks like you could possibly have a sports earlier. <laughs> Watch out for that door; it might get your toe. This, yeah, this feels like um, Charlie Cole is going to start and end the season on the IR, and next year is going to be somewhat of a valuable. Stay away from the, the stairs, Ravens. Charlie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, we've added in a little section section we like to call Shane's bumper football outside the stat breakdown thing. But as we joined together today to start talking about what we're going to put into the show script, Shane provided us with a fresh new book magazine. What is it that you've got, Shane? Just to- uh, so Football Outsiders published an almanac, as they like to call it, every year, which is a basically a huge guide to uh, the NFL and increasingly a lot of the big college teams as well. So they do a huge statistical breakdown of uh, of each team. Uh, but at the back of that, they have what they call a statistical appendix, where they just put together a whole load of stats uh, on various aspects of um, of league performance, and that's often the most interesting bit for me because the, you know, the the written section on each team is just you know the opinion of each writer, and they back it up with stats. But ultimately, they don't know how the season's going to turn out, and nor do we. But some of the stuff that they put together from what happened last season gives you some interesting insights into. Uh, Stuff that often gets overlooked. So um, on the very first page of the statistical uh, appendix, we find out that uh, Baltimore were 28th when it came to broken tackles by team defense, which is uh, which is bad. Uh, Green Bay were first with just 80 plays with a broken tackle. Uh, Baltimore allowed 112 broken tackles. And second in the entire NFL with 22 broken tackles allowed was one Patrick Queen, um, often seen in uh, the Baltimore Ravens defense. Um, CJ Mosley, in- interestingly, was 18th for the Jets, but um, Queen was just behind Anzalone of Detroit. I don't know who that is, who allowed 23, but 22 broken tackles is almost a fifth of the Ravens' broken tackles allowed by that one guy. Um, and on broken tackle rate, which is um, you know the amount of broken tackles out of overall tackles, I guess, um, is broken tackles divided by broken tackles plus solo tackles. Does that make sense? Uh, anyway, Patrick Queen was fourth there. So he, he did slightly better, and there's another three players were worse than him um, on the broken tackle rate, but still quite bad. I mean, we know we noticed that though in the season, didn't we? We, all, we? we said through the season, Patrick Queen became that guy who just always seemed to be in the vicinity of something going on the football field, but was, <laughs> was, was, was very rarely doing anything. He just was always there. What's quite interesting though is a little bit further on, they have the top 20 defenders in run tackles for loss. Um, and on that list, um, for, for Baltimore, um, so somewhere higher up, no, I must have. I thought Calais Campbell was on this list, but Patrick Queen is joint seventeenth, so he's in the top twenty for run tackles for loss um, with eight, which you know suggests that he's he's playing pretty well against the run, um, but clearly playing less well against the pass. But as you say, that's something we we kind of noticed. Something else that I picked up on this, um, it, we know that the Ravens running backs didn't really do a stellar job, the guys who were brought in as backups. We didn't expect them to necessarily. There's a couple of stats that point to why that was. 
Worst yards after contact, uh, Devontae Freeman, second in the NFL with 1.6 yards after contact. Behind uh, only Gaskin of Miami. I don't know who that is either, but um, he had 1.62 yards per contact. And then worst broken tackle rate for an offensive player, Latavius Murray, seventh in the NFL uh, with just nine broken tackles. Um, so, I mean, again, it's not, you know, like Cole Beasley was was worse. Justin Jefferson of, of Minnesota was worse. Uh, so it's not necessarily that it makes you a terrible player, but you have one running back who's doing a terrible job of yards after contact and another one who's doing a terrible job of broken tackles. And you can kind of see, yeah, that's that's partly where the running game wasn't really working. Um, past defense, there's some interesting stats there. So top 20 defenders for passes defensed, as they like to say, because uh, defended is apparently not a word in America. Um, 15th, Marlon Humphrey, um, with 13 passes defensed, which I think is pretty good when you consider how many games did he miss uh, at the end of the season? Six? Eight, I think. Eight. So, you know, that's pretty good to be up in the top 20 having missed a bunch of games. But then the flip side of that, uh, is you look at um, top 20 passing yards allowed in coverage. Eighth in the NFL, Marlon Humphrey with 550 yards allowed in coverage. Tenth in the NFL, Anthony Averett with 525. So between them, more than 1,000 yards allowed on the guys who were supposed to be your number one, number two cornerbacks last season. Which that, is that was, that was just the Bengals game. Well, that's, I mean, that's the thing. They did get lit up in, in a few games. Um, and then top 20 first downs and touchdowns allowed while in coverage. Who do you think was at number eight? Do you want to take a pick? Was it Humphrey or Averitt? Averitt. Averitt. It was Averitt, yeah. 31 first downs or touchdowns allowed while in coverage. Uh, the worst was uh, D. King from Houston with 35. So it wasn't, you know, again... Wasn't great. Most yards after catch allowed. Um, second in the league with 6.6 yards after catch allowed was who do you think? After the yards after the catch allowed. Patrick Queen again. Uh, no, it was Marlon Humphrey. 6.6. Yeah. 6. Yeah. But, um, but you know, I mean, Marshawn Lattimore's in that list. Xavier Rhodes is in that list. I mean, you know, some sometimes these stats don't necessarily give you the the full picture of, of who was playing well and who was playing badly. And then the last thing, because, uh, I mean, I know that obviously people listening to this are riveted and they're like, just give us more stats, more stats, please. But I'll just do, uh, I'll just do passing offense. So the, the write-up that the that football outsiders have given the Ravens, um, they've focused on a couple of things. One thing they've said is that last year was the year that the NFL figured Lamar Jackson out. Uh, which we know is nonsense because it was the year before. I remember reading all the stories about it. So clearly he was figured out in 2020. But anyway, they then go on to say, it seems like uh, they're not helping him out because they've traded away his number one receiver and they haven't replaced him. So the receiving core has got worse and his number one has gone. But then you flip to the statistical appendix and top 20 players passes dropped. Who do we find at number 10? Uh, but Marquise Brown with seven drops um i'm stunned <laughs> yeah, i mean the so top 10 teams with passes dropped baltimore was seventh in the nfl with 21 drops um which is drops on 3.7 percent um and that's adjusted for 
the passes that are tipped and they don't count those and stuff with it. So it's, it's deemed a catchable ball. Um, but then again, in the same way that you see the running stats where you've got problems with both running backs, if you look at the top 20 players on percentage of passes dropped, so not just numerical, but percentage of passes dropped, Sammy Watkins is 13th in the NFL, dropping 10% of the passes that went his way. So you've got at one end of the book, they're saying, well, Lamar Jackson's really, you know, got figured out, really wasn't playing very well. At the other end of the book, you've got all these stats going, yeah, but he was throwing to people who just kept dropping the damn ball all the time. Like there's a limit. He can't put it in their hands because if he does that, then you'll go, ha ha, he's running, he's not passing. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Anyway, I find that you can get it, you can either get it from Amazon, um, or you can go to their website and get a PDF if you don't want this absolutely massive tome. But I find it quite fun to flick through and sort of look for these players who you don't necessarily, you haven't necessarily dug into their stats on, on the season. In five years' time, I mean, are we going to remember that Sammy Watkins was ever a Baltimore Raven? I just think we are. It's just going to fade I'll, into the background, isn't it? Alongside, um, oh God, who's the guy from Philly? Who was that guy? Mark. Jeremy Macklin. Oh. Jeremy Macklin, yeah. Macklin. yeah. yeah. And that guy who went to the Bills, he was really fast. Played for us for a season. John Brown. The Bills. Yes, John Brown, there you go. Smokey Brown. Yeah. I always have affection for him because he yeah. uh, torched the Steelers. He did. He also caught, he also, when I was last time, last at the Ravens, last at the Ravens, he caught the long touchdown at the end of the Saints game, which would have taken it to overtime had Justin Tucker mm-hmm. not missed the extra point. Fond memories he was very of fast. John Brown. But it is that that last stat, and they're all interesting, Shane. But uh, <laughs> the last one in particular about uh, drops um, is heartening going into this year because everyone's saying, "Yeah, get Lamar a true number one receiver." Now, okay, he still doesn't have, in theory, a true number one receiver. Although having not been on this show for a few weeks, I am still uh, the uh, Bateman's biggest advocate, and I'm I think the Rashad Bateman's going to be is going to have a stellar year. Really do. I think he's got everything needed. I think in, crucially he has the hands, and we saw last year the amount of first downs he caught in clutch situations in his rookie year can only uh, stand him in good stead for year two. Who else can catch the football well with sticky hands? James Prochet. You know, I know that we're always uh, you know, <laughs> saying he's flattering to deceive. Oh, but he's going to have a chance. It's nearly all, August. All Lamar needs. All of my needs are people to catch. That's it. Yeah. Because yeah, yes, some of the throws are off target, but there's a hell of a lot of balls that are either in the numbers or maybe a foot either side, which most receivers should catch. And I think those little things will make a huge difference this year. Um, thinking back to the Tennessee game, you know how many how many drops do we have in the playoffs in that year where everything could have switched and we could have actually won the Super Bowl that year? So um, yeah, I th- that last one has really really cheered me up. I don't want to dive too much into. This even more stats but there is an interesting bit that kind of backs up your point so they break down every player's performance last season and they give them something they call uh, defense adjusted yards above replacement which is uh if you took an average player and if this guy was out injured and he was replaced by an average guy how would the average player perform um so in the case of marquise brown his dyar is minus 14 in other words he got 14 yards fewer than an average receiver would have done with the same opportunities. Uh, he's still got a 1,000 yards. Rashad Bateman, on the other hand, 100 yards more than an average replacement would have done, which is not like off the charts successful, but it's, you know, it's clearly very good. And the numbers that you're seeing here suggest that Marquise Brown isn't a huge loss based on how he played last season. Interesting. 
It was it was interesting. Any, it was long, but it was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and also, we anybody who anybody who plays fantasy with Ben uh, just needs to take note of that nugget there. You, if you want to get Bateman in in any of his leagues, you're gonna have to go early. Yeah, he's already. I've got him locked down in my dynasty. <laughs> uh, so uh. <laughs> right, okay. anyway, okay. So the football season has begun. Teams have reported. Training camp has begun for everybody except Ben Cleveland. Ben, Ben Cleveland is not holding the Ben name up very well. He's, he's, uh, he's, he fails his conditioning test. Probably, we think. Who wrote that? James, is that you? No, it's, um, it's not confirmed. They, uh, they've just put him on the non-football-related injury list or something, which usually means, usually means yeah. he's failed the conditioning test. I mean, it, you know... There's a, at this time of year, there's a limited number of things that can be wrong. Apparently, the conditioning test has changed because mm-hmm. the Ravens' conditioning well, test is notoriously hard, and apparently yeah. they've changed it this year. I think they have eased it up a bit. Um, I was just looking earlier about because it, it, you know, obviously we have this, you know, sort of everyone was sort of dead last year by the end of training camp. So I think they may have looked at that and said, "Hey, John, yeah, ease up a bit." Um, I'd, I'd looked at an article from. Um, 2019 or 2020. Uh, it must have been 2019, but they were talking about previous uh, players that had uh, failed it because Harbaugh does run a notorious boot camp style conditioning test where if you don't pass it, you, you're not coming in until you've done it and you have to do it again and again and again. And it involves all sorts of horrendous. Uh, uh, I was watching Office for a Gentleman last Friday night, that sort of thing, where they finally got uh, Seeger over the wall. Um, but uh, Orlando Brown Jr. failed it. Mike Wallace, who you think would be a bastion of uh, speed and physical fitness, uh, uh, failed it. Michael Pierce obviously would fail it. Um, Darius <laughs> Webb failed it. Um, and then Justin Forsett described it as pure hell. So um, it's not a, a, a massive surprise to know, even if they've lightened it up a bit, that a guy called Ben Cleveland, who probably spent the summer fishing in the lake and drinking Miller Lights, has um, come back maybe, uh, uh, you know, with the requirement to actually pass the Ravens conditioning test maybe one more, one or two more times. So um, it's it's not the Ravens training camp without at least one failed conditioning test. We've now had it and we can all enjoy the summer. The small concern with him failing the conditioning test, which is usually not a big deal, but just, just a little nugget of concern is that the guy is quick for his size. Like that's one of the advantages of, of having a Ben Cleveland is yes, he's mammoth, but also his straight line speed is very good. So I'm, I don't know where he's failed the conditioning. Maybe it was on, you know, on the, the 36th sprint that he failed, but you know, it is, I think it is timed and he's pretty, he's, he's pretty fast um, in a straight line. So hopefully it's not a, you know, it's not an issue that's going to linger into the season. Yeah. You get a certain amount of time to do a sort of up and back. So you get 20 yards down the field and 20 yards back. And then you get a certain amount of recovery time before you do the next set of reps. And so the main challenge with it is your ability to recover in between reps. And if you're not properly conditioned, by the time you get to those last ones, you're not going to be sufficiently recovered between reps to be able to do the the remaining ones in the time allowed. So that seems to be, I think that's where people fail. And Harbour's argument has always been that if you're not able to complete that, we're not confident that you're fit enough to go through training camp without, you know, putting yourself at risk. So that's kind of their argument for it. But it does sound like, I mean, there was um, uh, the Lounge podcast, they were saying the other week that it's been it's been changed and it's been sort of softened a little bit. Okay, let's talk about the 
training camp, position by position battles. How far in? Oh God, we're nearly an hour already. Okay. Do let's not go over all of them then. Let's not talk about quarterback and what training camp battles might be happening at quarterbacks. I don't think there's any running backs a little bit up in the air because we don't know about the health. So seeing as we've been speaking about the wide receivers and Ben, your love for Bateman, let's start at the wide receivers then. And Ben, let's look at who we've got available. So I'm throwing I'm throwing you right back into the deep end here. Hmm. Um let's look at who we've got at wide receiver and who we think's making the team, who we think's not making the team. It's the twenty seventh of July as we record mm-hmm. this podcast. So it's very nearly James Prochet month. The month of August is now mm-hmm. known as James Prochet month because the last, what is it? Is it this, well, this now be the third year he's gone in as like the highlights of training camp to then, to then not really do anything in the regular season. How mm-hmm. do you think wide receiver shapes out? I mean, you could argue it's uh, on, on paper, it's one of the weaker positions in the team simply because of what we talked about before about not having, I suppose, either a, a proven standout stud number one or a very strong one-two combo, uh, which a lot of teams have. Um, you'd think that Rashad would be top of the depth chart now, um, now that Hollywood's gone. I think Prochet's safe. Um, you'd think that uh, Tylen Wallace will have a good shot of being around about three at the moment. Uh, on the depth chart, but really after that, it's all uh, it's all to play for. Um, my tip um, for not just making the squad, but perhaps winning the Super Bowl for us <laughs> <laughs> would be uh, Bailey Gaither. <laughs> you couldn't remember his name, there, could you? <laughs> I'd, I'd quickly look it up again. But don't worry, I'll get the jersey and I'll, and I'll remember it. But no, I think you know the, the rest of it is, is going to be you know it's, it's going to be about as open as it ever has been for the um, you know for the for the receiver position. You think that you know we're really going to probably carry how many receivers we're going to carry in um, to, uh, to, to to the season? I mean, because we've got so many tight ends as well, where we're going to be so tight end heavy that we're going to have to you know carry at least four tight ends. Um, so um, yeah, I think it's. Um, it's it's going to be an open battle, and it'll be really interesting to watch in preseason and in camp who uh, who managed to separate. That seems to be where the balance is. Is, is the more tight ends means fewer receivers. So people are saying they might just keep four receivers rather than five. Which you know, Duvernay, Prochet, uh, Bateman, and Wallace sound like the four. But um, then you've got Victor lurking around, Jalen Moore, who sort of be in competition for a fifth. But uh, yeah, they might lose out just because the Ravens got so many tight ends. Where, where do we think Duvernay stands going into this year? Duvernay is a name that we've not really mentioned all off season. And Ben, you did you whether you chose to or not, you didn't even mention him in I, your I didn't, run. Actually, your I, I'm sorry, I admitted, I admitted Devon because yeah, he is he is, he is clearly th- three a uh, three slash four. Uh, actually, sorry, two slash three. Um, uh, but I think he's also such an outstanding return guy as well um, that. You know, for special teams, we can't really afford to let Duvernay go. So I think with the double uh, threat that he carries, uh, he'll probably be in as good a position as any to make that four or five if it comes down to it. Duvernay could be the Jade Prochet of this year. He might be the guy who we're hearing a lot about at camp and is going to be... Cause I think the, the the talk out of camp is going to be who is starting every game at the opposite side of Bateman. 
Bateman's locked in on one side and I think we're going to have a lot of, is it Prochet, is it Duvernay or Tyler Wallace probably, he's probably just behind those two guys. It, is this where the conversation comes of the Ravens need to bring somebody else in with their, what have we just discussed? 1.6 million or something daft they've got spare. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not going to be anyone that can compete with those two guys. So it, it's, it's got to be one of them. Shane, who do you think wins that battle between Prochet and Duvernay? Well, I think the tricky thing is because Duvernay is such a good returner um, that you've got to weigh up the value that you lose by having him as wide receiver. Because if he does go out and return a punt or return a kick, he's not necessarily going to be able to immediately go on for the next first down and run a you know 30-yard route down the field or whatever he's required to do. So they're going to then, you then have this sort of thinking of, well, did he do a big return? What's the next pass route that he's going to be expected to do? Can we count on him for the first down? So I I reckon Duvernay might lose out in the depth chart purely because he's he he brings so much as a returner, um, which would mean that Prochet goes ahead of him. I mean, the great thing about Prochet is that he seldom drops the ball. And I think a big part of why Prochet has tended to shine in camp and then disappear during the season is because they haven't given him that many opportunities, really. Towards the end of last season, when the Ravens were basically um, seeing who they had at wide receiver and opening opening things up a lot more, Prochet looked great, and he was playing with Huntley as his QB at that point. And you know, everybody else was was just in the sick bay. Um, so he certainly showed potential. Um, I think Duvernay also looked, looked looked good as a wide receiver last season. But like I say, I just think that. He brings so much as a returner that that might limit how much of a role he's going to play. So I could see him being kind of that fourth guy who you bring in um, in certain situations or, you know, um, on a situational basis, basically. I was on um, uh, Ken's podcast doing the wide receiver position preview and talked about these guys uh, in depth. Um, I think the the thing with Duvernay for me is that he's a straight line guy. Um and I still just don't see enough wiggle, enough lateral ability to be able to to really become a really effective separator in the NFL. It just feels to me like um, he is a great return guy. I think the Ravens maximize what they can get out of him um, with all of the reverses and the trick plays. And I think actually that will become even more prevalent or even at least more successful um, with uh, some, some, some quicker guys, some more dynamic guys in the backfield again with, with Dobbins. You know, if you've got Dobbins and Duvernay, uh, Dobbins will be a really effective decoy for Duvernay. So I think the Ravens will continue to maximize his value and get the most out of him. But I also don't think that he's ever going to step up and be the number two receiver. Um, I love Prochet. I've always loved Prochet. I had him absurdly high when he came out in the draft to the point where I will never admit um, how high on my board he was. <laughs> um, but I knew doing that, that he would have to be an outlier. Um, his athletic profile just does not translate to um to a successful receiver in the NFL. So he is going to have to beat the odds. I kind of bet on him doing that. Um but it's a tough bet to make because he you know he is a real athletic outlier in terms of yeah, in terms of being able to make it as a successful receiver. I do like Talon Wallace as well. People forget Talon Wallace was very good at Oklahoma State in the first couple of years on campus. Um had some bad injuries and then struggled a little bit. So he was a first round pick 4 years ago supposedly. Um, and you know, so there's some definitely some talent in that room, um, but somebody's going to have to step up opposite opposite Bateman. I'm I'm not sure who it's going to be right now, but you know the Ravens 
have invested in the offensive line. They've invested in the tight end room. They've they hope that their running backs will come back. I just feel like they're building a bully, and and the receiver room won't be the most important thing come the end of the season. Before we get off this, can you give us one hot name who you had Prochet ranked higher than in the wide receivers? <laughs> in the t- give it. In the t- I'll t- tell t- you t- at t- the end. Let me let me go back and look at my list, and I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, just the, obviously the big names come out of that draft were Jefferson Lamb, Judy Claypool, Ayuk T. Higgins, um, Henry Ruggs, and Lavasca Schultz Jr. So give us one. Well, of James had him number one overall, so, <laughs> like, ab- ab- above all of them. <laughs> okay, we'll skip the tight ends. What have we got at tight end? We've got Mark Andrews, Nick Boyle, future injured reserve Raven, um, Charlie Kohler, and Isaiah Likely, who may take up that third tight end slash wide receiver hybrid. I think this does probably mark the end of Josh Oliver at this point. He sort of came in last year and, and didn't really add much to the mix. Offensive line, again... This is an odd one, offensive line. We've we, we spoken about this quite a lot over the offseason. This all still, we're, we're still in the same boat, aren't we, Shane? This all hinges on Ronnie Stanley and where we are in two weeks with Ronnie Stanley, doesn't it? Yeah, basically. Um, so, you know, if he comes back and he's uh, shaken off that injury and he's, you know, in good shape, obviously he'll still have some rust from not having played a game for, well, what, one game in two, in almost two years. Um, so he'll still have some rust to, to shake off, but if he comes back and he's in good shape, then suddenly the rest of the line sort of starts to slot into place and everything looks pretty solid. Um, if for whatever reason his injury is still causing problems and he hasn't still recovered, then suddenly the line looks like it's a lot more questionable. So it's, I feel like there's quite a lot of uncertainty in in several areas for the Ravens, running back, cornerback, but but the offensive line is the one where there's the big worry. And as you say, it all hinges on Stanley, really. Otherwise, I mean, we know Linda Baum is going to be the centre. That seems pretty much set. Um, we know the right tackle is going to be the guy from the Jets, whose name I've completely forgotten. Morgan Moses. Yes, Morgan. there we go. Um, and I mean, Daniel I think... Palele. We know, you know... <laughs> <laughs> we, we know Zyla's going to fit a right guard and, and continue to do a good job. Uh, so left guard seems to be where there's there's a queue of, of possibles. There's nobody who's... I mean, you can look at it two ways. You can say there's a bunch of guys with potential and they're all fighting to be the starter. Or you can say there's nobody who's clearly an NFL starter. So it's a case of who's going to step up and, and fit in. But it looks like left guard is is where the uncertainty is, assuming we can be confident in standing. I think it's I think it's bold that you just sort of skimmed over. You've, you've just slotted Tyler Lindbaum in at centre. That, is, that, is that not bold to just assume this rookie is going to come in and take that job? I, th- I think he has to. I, you know, you drafted him so high. I, I You know, he has to take that spot. I think he's going to, he will at least take that spot and, and, and they will at least give him a chance to take that spot early through game time. I, I can't, you know, maybe he sinks and it's awful, but I, I can't see that being the case. You know, Linda Baum is, Linda Baum is a very good pass protecting center, like very good um, to elite um, coming out. The, the worry is the scheme fit is has always been the scheme fit, but I, you know, I suspect, I wonder whether they will do some, do some things. So, Ben Powers, Terry Phillips, Ben Cleveland all just haven't nailed down that that starting guard spot. 
I still would like to see Tyree Phillips get a proper shot at it. Um, normally when he's given a bit of a chance, he does do a job and he's been, uh, you know, last few off seasons, he's been working hard at playing inside. So I'd like to see him get a chance at it, but I wonder whether you do something different with the left side of the offensive line and perhaps you bring, you bring Makari in to left guard. The Ravens, I think in the past have been at their best on the offensive line when they've just gone with their five best guys. Um, I'm worried about positions later. And Makari is undoubtedly one of their five best guys. I know some people don't think he can play tackle. I think he can play tackle. Um, but I think he could play guard. But I think if you brought in Makari at guard and you do get Ronnie Stanley back, you've got a left side of that line in Lindebaum, Makari, and Stanley, who are very mobile for their size. And perhaps you start to do some different stuff with scheme. You know, we know Greg Roman is a very gap heavy guy. But I wonder whether he starts to do a little, we've been crying out for it for a while, but I wonder whether the the personnel necessitates him moving to more, to more of a zone-based um, scheme that running through that left side and maybe get Linda Baum and Makari and even Stanley on the move a little bit um, and up to the second level. So I wonder whether there's, there's a change there that'll happen. Um, it just feels like it does, as you've said, Gaz, all kind of hinge on Ronnie Stanley. You know, if Ronnie Stanley is healthy, that left guard spot is your weakest spot. And if you can plug it with a Pat McCary, you or, or maybe an improved Tyree Phillips, you've, you've got a you know an average to solid starter at your worst position on the offensive line. And you will listen to any offensive line gurus, Brandon Thorne, um, Duke Manyweather, they'll all tell you that like the weakest, it is all about neutralizing your weaknesses. Uh, you can have solid guys across the offensive line. If you have one disaster position, it's going to be a it's going to be a train wreck. But if you can get a, if your weakest position is a guy that's just solid, um, then you know you're off to the races with that offensive line. Oh, you mentioned train wreck, and you just I just realised that during my my bumper football outsider stat breakdown, I didn't do the uh, villain waiver stat. Anyway, never mind. <laughs> well, you can't you can't leave us with that cliffhanger and not give us. You want the you want the villain waiver stat. Oh, right, okay. villain I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get out. Of I mean, it's I've 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 spoiled the punchline somewhat now. But uh, <laughs> top twenty offensive tackles, blown blocks in at number three. It's Alejandro Villanueva with um, six point five sacks allowed and a total worse? of. A total of 39 blown blocks. So somebody called Norton for the Chargers was worse. He had 42 blown blocks. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the, the Dolphins' uh, left tackle, Eichenberg, had 49 blown blocks. 10 more than Villanueva. Imagine, imagine like 10 more blown blocks than Villanueva. Like as furious as we were with Villanueva. There was somebody who was who was that much like twenty five percent worse. Anyway, I mean, at, that, at that point, you may as well just put a mannequin in there. <laughs> <You're> like, you <laughs> do nothing. Well, I think one of the cool. things it does outline is like you know I, I don't know I can't I don't, can't see a stat in here for how many snaps he played, but thirty nine out of all of the snaps he played is not a huge amount across the season, but it emphasizes just how important it is to be consistent at offensive line. That you can, if you screw up just 40 times over the course of a season, you can absolutely torpedo your team. So, so yes, he, he allowed 6.5 sacks, but um, Eichenberg allowed 10. <laughs> so, you know, it wasn't, you'll be looking at that and going, yeah, we could have been worse. Could have been worse. Okay, let's have so a... Can I just address... Can I just go quickly before we go on? Because you said that was all basically based on Ronnie Stanley being okay. What if he's not okay? 
Then, I mean, it's it's. We, it, 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 I mean, it, it, do we even consider you know the the possibility of Shawan uh, James? Shawan, <laughs> he, he he has to be. <laughs> he has to be. A, I can't do it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he has to be a bonus that you don't count on. Uh, he can't. He can't be the guy. Um, it's just too too much uncertainty. Um, and I think you you know. I still believe I'm still a believer, and I'm not sure the Ravens necessarily believe this, but I do believe Pat Makari can play left tackle for you in a pinch. Like he can't play it whole season, absolutely not. But he will be able to do a job out on that left side. Um, <laughs> not ideal, but you know, I think he could do a job for a few games. But if Stanley is done for the year again, then you know, I don't know. I don't know what happens then. Morgan Moses, I think, has played that little bit of left tackle in his career. So it may be that they just move Moses and find a way to plug the, the gap at right tackle. And I'd be much happier about Makari at right tackle full season. I think he did a good job um, for mm-hmm. six, seven games. So maybe they do that. There was talk when Moses signed that he could be the left tackle of Stanley. Couldn't go and then either James or Makari at right tackle. But... James is still a huge unknown quantity. I mean, he's got so much um, upside. Like you know, he's he's a first round pick. He's a guy that loads of people think is great. He's just been injured for his entire life, it seems. So there's just a question of whether, you know, what's there if he's fit in this off season and and what level of play is he able to bring. But but yeah, I mean, it's it's almost to the point where I think if Stanley can't go, and you look at this team and think this is a a Super Bowl contender with with a good left tackle in place, then I would be tempted to look around and see who you could trade for, if that's what you believe. Let's look at the other side of the ball then. I'm conscious that we've run a little long tonight. So let's just touch on probably one of the best position groups in the team and the one that probably shows signs for concern. Let's start at edge. James, there's a lot riding on a wayman's shoulders here, isn't there? Because it, it soon thins out after a daffy away. Yeah, the Justin Houston signing became an absolute necessity um, recently. I think it, there is a lot on on a daffy away who who did have off season surgery and you know is also is you know has been rehabbing himself. He will be healthy for for, for week one, but there's a lot riding on his second year development. Um, I, you know, it would be great if the Ravens could add a pass rusher, but we've talked about the fact they've got no money left. So I do think this is this is it. Uh, it looks like Bowser's progressing well in his in his rehab. So if you can get a healthy Bowser or at least a semi healthy Bowser back um, and plug some holes with with Dalen Hayes and Justin Houston, but always the guy. That's the thing. Always going to have to be the guy this year um, in terms of pass rush. It, it just it just has to be. I, I cannot see any other route to to the Ravens having a, a really great pass rush this year. Maybe Dalen Hayes steps up and develops, but he he had a lot of developing to do as a pass rusher. He's a he's a ridiculous run defender um, and looked like a man against boys at times when he's playing for 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 um, Notre Dame. So I I do think I do think a lot rides on Owe until. Ajabo comes back and he will come back mid mid to late season, um, we hope, uh, and provide some really good relief pitching, you know, to come in and and have a great have a great um 
you know, a few, uh, you know, a lower snap count, get him on the field in pass rushing situations and get him, get him getting after the, after the QB. I, I think, yeah, like I said, a lot rides on a Daffy Airways development the second year. Um, I do believe in Oway. Um, and so I do think that's, that's a good bet to make. But I, I sort of think that the third year will be his kind of big breakout year. Um, so we're kind of hoping that he sort of progresses his development a little bit, rushes on a bit. The other thing we don't know at this point is how Mike McDonald is going to approach pass rushing and, and pressuring the quarterback. Because we know, you know, Wink kind of got round in some ways, got round a lack of talent by sending everybody or sending pressure from weird places or, you know, just doing unexpected blitzes and stuff. But that's not Mike McDonald's MO from what I gather. Um, he's much more traditional. He's much less likely to to blitz generally. He's certainly not going to send the kind of zero blitzes that Wink was happy to send a few times a game. Um, it might be the case that they have to try and get more pressure through the middle. They try and have to get their, you know, defensive linemen to, to produce more. Calais Campbell might do better if he's playing fewer snaps, for example, because I think they kind of they're in danger of wearing him out at this point. Um, and I think there's a question with Justin Houston, who was so close to so many sacks last season. Is that because he's just, you know, he's peaked and he's now just a step too slow? Or was that just that he was statistically unlucky and you'd expect him to bounce back and get more sacks next season? I think there's a lot of questions just because of the change of system that I think that will, that will, will it'll take the first two or three weeks of the season to get a sense of how that's going to play out. So let's flip this and look at one of the most stacked position groups we've got going into the year. Ben, the safety position. H- how do you see this shaking out? You've, n- you've not been with us for the off season. We've had a lot of talk about what happens here. We, we, at one point, we thought Chuck Clark was, was maybe not going to be a Raven going into this year. It's now looking like he's going to be here to stay. How do you see this playing out? Well, hopefully they'll take advantage right from the off of Carl Hamilton's versatility as well. Um, and um, I think it would be a shame to um, not utilise Chuck as a cerebral as safety as he is and as a, as, as a general in the backfield as he is as well. Um, so... Yeah, it's um, we are spoiled for choice. Um, going back to the pressure on the QB as well and the ability to, um, to tackle near the line of scrimmage as well, I, I do like the fact that you know we've we've basically drafted a, a, a beast in the secondary that can handle both those those duties. So I'm fairly sure they'll they'll try to maximise as much as possible uh, all three of their times on the field. Obviously, you can normally only play a strong and a uh, and a free safety uh, in a traditional formation, but I think yeah, the 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 other two guys that were there last year fit that mold more. I could see them bringing in Hamilton as a kind of uh, uh, even even a sort of you know, hybrid linebacker type role uh, in certain situations, um, and uh, and trying to maximise the value that that Chuck brings. I mean, obviously rotating in Geno Stone as well because he's. You know, a, a a real ball hawk, um, and I'd love to see him get a bit more playing time. But we are spoiled for choice with um, with those safeties. So you know, whether um, everyone can make it, you've obviously got you know Jefferson's back as well, and I'm worried about Tony. I think Tony will be a great mentor for those, certainly for um, for Kyle 
and uh, and just basically a great locker room guy for the rest of the secondary in the, in the team at the moment. But uh, it could be a case of too many cooks with him, and I'm not sure Tony will make the team uh, after the preseason because there's just too much talent there at the moment. Um, but we can't keep everybody. So um, it, it, I think we said it last year about the secondary that you know it's it's great to have so many pieces. Then we realised how quickly. Um, that could flip on its head. So, you know, I think if we can retain, certainly Chuck, um, uh, and but obviously we have to give Kyle the maximum opportunity to make an impact from the start because he's just too good a player um, to, uh, to to bench for any length of time when he can make an immediate impact. Um, so it's, it's a nice problem to have, um, but hopefully we'll keep as much depth as we can because if we lose, you know, one or two of those guys, then we'll need the other guys to step up. Clark is a good fit as a dime linebacker as well, where you can be slightly lighter at the position. Um, and the other issue, it's one of those weird conversations that only Ravens fans seem to have, is that we've got to think about who wears the green dot. So it's moved to Chuck Clark recently. Um, if it's n- And the, whoever wears the green dot has basically got to be on the field all the time because you can only have one helmet with that um, uh, radio in it. Uh, so... If Chuck Clark's wearing it, Chuck Clark's going to be on the field every play one way or another. If he's not wearing it, then who is? I mean, if the Ravens keep it with safety, can't be Hamilton or Williams because they're too inexperienced in the system, even though the system's changed. I wouldn't really feel confident about it being Patrick Queen. So in, in a way that Chuck Clark's centrality to the system last season almost makes you think he's got to be He's got to be as central this season, even if it's a transition year. Okay, let's get out of here. We've been here for way too long. We decided to go to bi-weekly in the off-season because we might not have enough to talk about. And have we have we gone under an hour at all this off-season? I think we have, have we? We've pretty we've hit pretty much an hour every well every other week. Next, it's almost week, time to start recording the next one, isn't it? <laughs> no, we're not, we're, well we might be back next week if there's any big news again feel like something I've said since March if Lamar Jackson signs his deal we'll come back and, <laughs> and do a podcast next week if not I mean I can't believe I'm saying this but the next episode we'll be previewing the first preseason game and, and another year rolls around and we start all over again so it looks like we'll be back if you don't hear from us before, on Thursday, the 11th of August, we're going to preview the first game. Who's the first game, guys? The Tennessee Titans on the 12th of August in the preseason. So that's what we're going to be doing in two weeks, unless Lamar Jackson signs his big deal. Anything from anyone before we go? Ben, you did want to mention something about um, training camp players who disappeared. No, into no, North- that's, let's, did- let's shelve that idea. That could be <laughs> like another into- 10 minutes. So let's forget about it. We'll talk about terrible training. Well, next next time, we're in, in two weeks, the training camp will still be in the middle. We can talk about, maybe we could throw it out to the listeners. Why don't you throw, why don't you send in uh, some some previous training camp warriors that turned out to be absolute duds when the real season came around. There's guys that you looked at and you said, this is the key to this position. And then we never heard from them again until they went to another team and lit it up. So uh, that would be uh, that would be my one. My other thing I'd say as well, as it's a few a couple of weeks till the next one, is um, it would be worth people thinking about um, the you know, the regular season being so close. Um, meet up dates and things like that as well, which we could uh, put out there for 
I think, consensus I think been, on I think, what games would work. I think there's been some chat about this in the WhatsApp group this week. I think we've all sort of locked on that we're going to do something for the Bills game. Is that early October, the Bills game? We were meant to be, well, you were meant to be going to Baltimore for that one, Ben, but it, it just didn't quite work out this year. But yeah. So I think that's looking like a potential meetup date. So yeah, it's time to, to start getting those things together. So just, let's. Um, Oh, Just before we go, guys, uh, T. Higgins, Brandon Ayuk, Chase Claypool, all below uh, James Brochet in my 2020 oh, draft. God. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I'd to be fair, that. I'm going to let you get away <laughs> with it. <laughs> to be fair to me, I've, I had Jefferson as the number one and I had Waddle as the number one last year as well. So I do get it right at the top end. I just maybe sometimes inflate some guys that shouldn't be. Got lost in the middle. Right, okay, let's get out of here on that note. We'll be back in two weeks' time on Thursday, the 11th of August, to talk about the Ravens preseason game, which is on... Oh, it's that day. It's the play on Thursday night, I guess. Yeah, Thursday night football preseason against the Tennessee Titans. So we will be previewing... It's that fun time of year where we preview the undefeated preseason Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> <laughs> the UK, so the UK Ravens podcast is at its finest. Ben, will we see you again in two weeks? Are you, are you back with us for a bit now? Things have calmed I'll, I'll down. I'll try to. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to make it. Cool. So I might hopefully have a full house in two weeks' time. We will catch you in two weeks. And until then, let's go Ravens. Thank you for listening to the UK Ravens podcast. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by members of the UK Ravens. Join the community on social media at UK Ravens and facebook.com forward slash UK Ravens. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the UK Ravens podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. To be involved with the show, email us at ukravenshow at gmail.com. For more info, links, and to stay up to date, visit www.ukravens.com.